Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, we're here with uh, Sheikh Abu Ubaid. Uh, he's honored us with his presence. Uh, he uh, He's um, the owner and the founder of uh, multiple institutes, which we'll get into, inshallah. Uh, namely, one of the most common ones known is uh, Darul Arqam, where there are free classes and free education. Uh, he's got multiple other ones. Perhaps the Sheikh could tell us about those and we can we can start with uh, the institutes and the work that he's doing and then get into a bit more detail, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya, yul musaleen nabiyyina wa imamina Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'du, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaykum wa salamu alaykum wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaykum audience. And the ones who are listening. <coughs> um, obviously, I think everyone knows me uh, from Dar Alqam. Dar Alqam, Alhamdulillah, I mean, it's, a, it's not, uh, I may be the founder, but uh, but I think it's, it's, it's blessed because of the people who uh, were part of establishing Dar Alqam. And the vision they all had and the mission they all had in establishing it. Um, it's, I think if it's not the first free education center um, it's one of the first um, free education center in UK sure. um, yeah, it's completely free um, it's teach uh, its goal was to teach uh, primary goal was to teach um, Islamic sciences for free and any other subjects it, it will charge but eventually mm. the, the the management of Arkham went no, we're gonna anything that Arkham does um, uh, even uh, at least for now, it's going to be for free. <coughs> so, so Alhamdulillah, I mean, we uh, officially we we established it in 2008, and it's now 2019, and Inshallah. we're still free. Um, Alhamdulillah, I mean, yeah. Were you doing classes there from from 2008? I was teaching from 2003. Oh, Inshallah. Um, I was teaching. Um, so those course students eventually. I said to them the concept because I was teaching for free in the yeah. first place from 2003 I, I was teaching for free anyway and um, so I continued to teach I continued to teach and the students grew the numbers grew and then I wanted that same philosophy of free education to continue as an institute um, the story behind it comes back comes way back before that so now I was young, a little younger, a teenage kid, maybe I can totally mention that later on. Yeah, you can even maybe mention it now. now. You, yeah. <laughs> so basically, I was I used to go to Kent Madrasa in Jilhast. Um My father put me when I was there um, at the age of 11. It was in St. James's Road in just off Green Street. And and then eventually moved to a sitcup to be called this big massive place we um, they bought. So and so I was studying there and one day I hardly used to play. I was that serious sort of student. <laughs> now I play I sort of waste my time. But back then I was <laughs> I was focused and I was kinda of serious. So everyone was out playing and I was the only one in the hall. Um it's a quite big hall, it can fit around two hundred students. So it's a quite big hall. And I was the only one sitting there reciting and memorizing. And a thought came to me like, subhanAllah, my brother is, is he, he was only four years older than me, my brother, my eldest brother. 
and he was working and he was paying for the fees. Um, sure. My father wasn't with us. Um, he sort of uh, sort of left us quite early because um, he had another family. Mm. So he, my 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 eldest brother was taking care of both families. He was taking care of my father because my father wasn't working. So he was taking care of my father and my my other family, and he was taking care of us. And my specific fees that was he was paying for it for, and it was quite a lot. It wasn't it wasn't cheap, and back then it wasn't cheap as well. Just like now, it's not cheap. It's quite expensive. So I was thinking, father, if my brother is finding it so difficult to pay for me yearly, and I'm sure other parents are also paying for it. Uh, Finding it difficult to pay for their their children. So then, then, then the thought came: Why can't there be the the madrasa be free? Why can't the institution be free? Then I thought: Okay, you have to pay for the staff. Yeah. You have to pay for the electricity bills. Now I thought: Why can't a business take care of the the staff and and mm. and, and the the costs of the running of the madrasa? That's when the first. Uh, concept came of free education and business running it. I was 14 then. Subhanallah. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the age of 23, I said that vision. Um, well, now once I saw the students were growing, I said that vision to them. I said, look, let's start a free education center. And then inshallah, when we're growing, we have enough people, we'll, have, we'll open a business and then we'll take it from there. Mashallah. Yeah. How was it, uh, uh, you said because your father left, uh, how, how was it growing up without that and you had your elder brother? It helping? was tough. It's still, uh, it's, it's still uh, sort of uh, plays around this issue. Of, you know, a father not being there for most of my life. The father mm. wasn't, my father wasn't there. So we had to grow up very quickly. We had to wise up very quickly. and uh, But... Uh, my mother was a strong woman. Uh, she was. She was. She had so much patience. She had uh, so much love and care for for uh, us as children. And she had. She had so much love and care for people generally. But she has. She had so much obedience of my father, and she had so much um, respect for my father in the sense of husband respect that she would. She would. She would. Um, always back him, back him up. Like even though he was not there, he, he she would say, "Okay, he's gone to another other family. Don't worry, he'll be back." Mm. She used to always comfort us. Sure. But she was the sh- inner strength, and uh, for us, um, especially sure. for me, uh, because I used to come after a week and I used to see my mother. Sometimes two weeks. When we moved to Sidcup, I used to come every t- two or three weeks. So it's, I hardly used to see my mom. So every time I used to come, I'd be like, sweet home, I'm back. <laughs> obviously, I'm, back then, I'm only a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, so I used to be so happy. But I knew that I'm coming on Saturday. I'm leaving on Sunday. So it's like only one day I'm staying with my mom. And then, uh, so it's very tough. But my mom was an amazing woman. And she she has been the backbone of our family. And she still is my backbone. She's still today, she's my backbone. So I'll ask one day, inshallah, we can talk about my mother. Um, and parents in general and how much we, sh- we we owe them so my brother I think um, uh, he had that moral and, and, and that support from my mom and thereby he grew and matured very quickly and he took on the responsibility of two families mm. very quickly 
Uh, at the age of 14, he started working. Because uh, my, my, my father from 1988 never worked. So it was my brother from 1992 when he started working and taking mm. care of both families financially. Um, so he was, and he had two jobs. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Uh, he worked in a restaurant. Obviously, he didn't. Yeah. Back then, he had no choice. You have to make money. You have to give money. Your father mm. is screaming for money, but from back home, you know, he's writing letters. Mm. And he used to also work in factory in the evening. So, Subhanallah, he used to work in a factory as well. So, that uh, impacted me. Mm. You know, like we have to have a free education. And that's when the whole concept came about. Yeah, but father wasn't there, but I think my mother was a great replacement. So emotionally, psychologically, mentally, everywhere. I think my mother was a strong woman. She still, mm. even at the age of now, in the 70s, she still shops for us. She really? goes and she shops. She does the groceries, stuff like that. <laughs> we don't know what's happening. She Food is there on the table every day. Everything's so running. Everything's running smoothly. <laughs> she still is a strong woman with all the illnesses she has you know, I can talk about my mother for a long time you know, <laughs> honestly and uh, people ask me like what motivated you to travel and and stay in difficult trains and study you know starve yourself all of that some of my stories some people know I starved myself so many days weeks like without food it was my mother behind mm. it was my mother she was the source of that strength you know so that was maybe we can go back one day. Like, how did all of this journey start? Yeah, definitely. I can, I can I, in the middle we can talk about it, inshallah. Definitely, definitely, inshallah. Yeah. But so, uh, to answer your question, yes, my father wasn't there, but I think it made us more stronger, more mature, and inshallah. we grew up very quickly, especially because of my mother. Yeah. May Allah grant your mother a long life of goodness Allah, and uh, accept all her efforts that she's put forth. Allah, man. I mean, uh, in Darul uh, Arqam. Obviously, you cover multiple topics. Uh, yeah. One of the ones that you cover and we follow as well when we come to the classes, which we benefit from a lot, is the fitri topics, yeah. the fitra. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to say from it. I'm not sure where to begin <laughs> with it, but maybe uh, you can start with uh, with it. And You know, subhanAllah, yani, uh, Allah Jalla wa is amazing. Just... just simply by knowing that he created this amazing profound comprehensive um, powerful element within his creation which is the fitrah mm. um, it's more powerful than the aql subhanallah mm. you know what is the fitrah of this stuff uh, yeah <laughs> first we have to appreciate the creator you know mm. allah jalla wa ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala who created this fitrah mm. Um, if if you did not create it, then the whole, you know, I call it the oxygen of life is fitra. Mm. The oxygen of life is fitra. You know, without this oxygen within you, you'd not be able to survive, even if you had the outer oxygen. Mm. You know, you'd not know how to survive yourself. You don't know how, not, how to live. That baby that suckles the breast of the mother, even though it has oxygen, it would die if it didn't know that it has to suckle the breast mm. of the mother. So it's literally the oxygen of life. You know? Yeah. So um, Allah Jalla wa'ala is amazing. And uh, He is the miracle of our, of our existence, literally. And um, there's no other miracle above He Jalla wa'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So once you know him, you begin to appreciate fitrah more deeply. Um, you begin to reflect on it more comprehensively. You begin to also understand the impact of fitrah in your survival, in your living, in a, in a more practical manner. And uh, what I found from my travels and from my experiences of um, especially the youth who are uh, textual based. What I mean by textual, I call Rasul, just uh, text. Um, they, because of lack of life experience and because of lack of experiencing the texts in individual manner or in family manner or at a civilization manner, because text can be implemented in. At all levels, at the generation level, at a specific context, at a general context, at a specific circumstance, at a general circumstance, at a government level, at a judiciary level, at a individual uh, crisis level, mm -hmm. the texts apply and manifest at all levels. It never leaves you. So it's 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 a live text. But when you take that text without those living aspects of the whole creation. It's all down to how much experience you have by which you then interpret that text. Mm. And that's so limited and restricted to your experience. So if you're an individual who doesn't experience family, the text of family you know, makes no sense to you. It'll just remain theory to you. Mm. You see. So I realized because a lot of youth know text, because text is now easily accessible, before the text, for the text, wasn't easily accessible. So people experienced life first and then they gathered their text or they attained their text. And even attaining their text, there was a journey. Mm. You don't simply go into a book and getting the text. There was a journey in gaining that text. There was a sheikh or mashaykh they had to go through person, sheikh to sheikh. It was a journey. And the sheikh was explaining the text. It wasn't just you go to the book and you get the text and khalas. You go to mm. the Quran and you get the text and khalas. You interpret it. As uh, according to your experience, or according to how much experience you have, there's a journey to that text. So, all of that made the experience of learning and developing the te the, the wahi within yourself more profound, more comprehensive, more real. With the youth of today, that is missing, and because mm. that is missing, they misunderstand the text, they misplace the text. They quote out of context, um, and and there's so many problems they, mm. they 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 come up with because the text is fine, yeah. the wahi is fine, but it's because of them, their lack of experience, their lack of development, their lack of uh, understanding their own selves, um, be it ego, pride, arrogance, stubbornness, uh, positives, negatives, defects they have, weaknesses mm. they have. Lack of understanding so much of that, then lack of process of thought, lack of uh, lack of uh, comprehensive understanding. All of that they misplaced the text. Mm. So then, after thinking for years and spending time with years with the youth, I realized that it boils down to them not looking at the text, even if they get it from the book without any mashaykh. They, if they only placed it within the fitrah and the aql. Mm. They agreed upon aql, they agreed upon fitrah. If they applied upon, they agreed upon fitrah and or the common fitrah and the common aql, 
then they would know. At least in the first step, first mm. phase, they would not misunderstand the text. So then, from then on, I began to develop a program just focusing on utilizing your fitra and the aql, or in other words, utilizing your common fitra mm. and your common aql. So, uh, for those that might might not have heard of the word fitra, uh, what? Uh, how would you uh, describe the word? It's fitra? very difficult because. <laughs> Fitra is oxygen. It's, yeah. it's oxygen of your survival and living. Literally, it's it's a it's a DNA within you, yeah. subhanahu wa taala, for you to be able to survive and live in this life. Without the fitra, you would not be able to survive and live in this life. Hmm. Literally, this is so, a thing you mentioned in uh, one of your classes that it's uh, what Allah instilled within Adam salam and all his offsprings. Yeah, all creation. Yeah. Yeah. So. When Jallah, as soon as Jalla creates, by default within the creation, there's a fit, fitra is created within the soul of the person mm-hmm. or being by default. So it's not like he creates you and then he creates the fitra. La, it's it's a DNA knowledge of Hijallawala passing on to you within the fitra. So there's a direct connection. As soon as there's a creation, there's a there's a soul and there's the there's the fitra straight. It's a package deal. It's a package because without that, you don't know your Rob. That's that's impossible. How can a creation not know the Rob? There's a missing link. That can't happen. Allah, out of who He is, you are His creation. He brought you into existence. You have to know Him. He can't leave you confused. He Mm. can't leave you empty. He can't leave you unknown. You don't know anything. Like, he has to give you something. That something is mm. fitra. And how do we tap into the fitra? And how do we awaken the fitra? Subhanallah. Yani, fitra is is your simply if you if you try to delve into it, you'll miss it. Mm. <laughs> because every day you're living with the fitra. Yeah. Yeah. You contacted me, or through someone you heard about somebody else. Someone told it. You know, someone. You contact that person, that person came and another person told told you about me and so forth and that person said to you and recommend this is all fitra working. Mm. There's no wahi here. Yeah. There's no text saying contact so and so and that so and so it's all fitra. It's all aql. Yeah, yeah. We live our every single life, survival and living, it's all based on fitra and aql. Mm. The wahi only gives overall directions where the fitra doesn't give. The wahi only plays yeah. The, the fitra plays everything, every part mm. of our survival and living. The wahi only comes, gives you what fitra is unable to get, mm. and the aql is unable to receive, which is the which is for example, the rabi matters, beyond our senses. Yeah. So this is where fitra is boundary. Mm. So this is where the wahi comes. I'll give you an example. Simple example. We all need to drink water. What says that? Sir. We all need to drink yeah. water. What says it? Who says it? What says it? Uh, we know it ourselves. Yeah, that's the fitra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the aql also. Yeah. yeah. That says that we need to drink water. Like our natural instincts, yeah, for yes, example. Yeah, that's it. That's the fitra. Yeah. That's the aql. Yeah. That's, and the aql is connected with the fitra. So we all know that we need to drink water. The yeah. wahi doesn't say, yeah. when you're thirsty, go and drink water. <laughs> there's no text like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's no wahi like that. It's already in the fitrah. Allah doesn't repeat something which is already in the fitrah. Yeah? So now you go to, to, to wherever you want to drink water. You get the water and you're going to drink. Now you can drink with the left hand, you can drink with the right hand. 
Hmm. You can drink it by saying Bismillah. You can drink it by not saying Bismillah. The fitra doesn't tell you which hand to use. You may use your right hand because you're, you're right-handed. Mm. You may use your left hand because you're left-handed. The fitra doesn't tell you which hand to use. It just tells you whichever is comfortable to you, use it. Mm. But the, the, the fitra doesn't tell you you can drink water like this. <laughs> it tells you drink That's the fitra and yeah. aqal working. So where it can't tell... What's good, what's better, what's higher, what's loftier? That's when the wahi comes. So wahi says, eat and drink with your right hand. Yeah. So the, where the fitra can't, that's what the wahi comes. So f- wahi doesn't tell you what the fitra already knows. It tells you what the fitra doesn't know. Yeah. Would you say like the instincts, like yeah, even animals have, would that be f- fitri? fitri? Yeah. 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 We'll come to the so maybe another time or maybe this at the end. What's the difference between hawa and fitra, like mm-hmm. desires and so yeah. forth? Yeah, so we'll come, we'll come to that. But generally, let me give you a broad understanding. So fitra is everything yeah. that you live in this life. Fitra and aql dictate yeah, of survival and living. Uh, maybe I can break it down. I can say first is survival, then protection, then enhancement of both of that, which is equals to a living and prosperity. Mm. Yeah, so first survival. The first thing the fitra concentrates is survival. Yeah. The wahi came and enhanced that. The first thing you protect is your survival. Yeah. And then you protect yourself. So you enhance, for example, a toddler, you see, in the beginning, it's, it's all about food and drink, food and drink and sleep. So mm. That's to do with what? Survival, yeah. baby. When he becomes a toddler, now he w- walks around, walks, runs and stuff like that, but he's still careful of the actual survival. So he always comes back to mommy for food and drink and mm. then sleep. That's still survival. He's protecting that. His, his, his needs of survival If you leave a turtle on the bed He will not jump from the bed to the floor mm. He'll crawl down yeah. While he's protecting his survival For him to survive Yeah. So the fitra first and foremost it does It focuses on survival Then it focuses on protecting that survival you, you to survive And then it takes the enhancing It takes it to the level of Now how do I enhance my ability to protect myself To survive and then prosper myself so then the fitra and aqal takes you to making money, yeah. you know, buying houses, getting married, having children, and establishing the deen of Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is all part of fitra and aqal. Mm. So I was, I was watching a video a while back of an animal uh, given, I think it was, it was maybe it was a kangaroo or something else, but showing how as soon as that animal gave birth, the the baby started to climb up yeah. all the way to it's the kangaroo. chest area. Yeah. Was it kangaroo? Kangaroo. Yeah, and then it started to I think yeah. suckle or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But I was just thinking, Subhanallah, how amazing is it that it intrinsically it knows what yeah. to do as soon yeah. as it's born. It yeah. wasn't taught what to do. No. It hasn't seen any other animals no. or babies do it, but it knew it. No. That's noor. That is noor. Why does Allah call it noor? Because the baby can't see. Yeah. It's blind. Noor. Subhanallah. No. Ala noor. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. No. Uh, so, uh, with in terms of aql, uh, how would you describe it? Would you would you say that's uh, it's got more than in, in, it's more than intellect, isn't it? Of course, uh, aql. Uh, yes, part of aql is intellect, but aql includes mind. Hmm. Uh, and then mind uh, has many aspects. You've got subconscious mind. You've got conscious mind. Um, uh, it's, it's got the, the part of that is the intelligence, and then part of that is lobe, part of that is wisdom, uh, part of that is faham, 
There's so much. There's mm-hmm. so many levels. There's so many uh, matters within yeah. the aql. But the easy way, if I say, is common aql. That's the easy way which every one of us have. And this is opposite of majnoon. Mm. Opposite of majnoon. Madman, insane. So anything opposite of majnoon and mad person is like insane. Sane. Sane is the common aql. So everyone mm. who, has, who, who has that aql, they have common aql. So within that common aql, there's common sense. I, we have senses in that aql mm. that agree that this is right or this is how it's meant to be. Yeah, and mm. so forth and so on. How can we ensure to, when, for example, raising our kids, how can we ensure to like keep the fitrah like pure and uh, to for them to be able to get to know the Rabb? Yeah. What's the best way to ensure that? Uh, tawheed, as, as I always say, is not taught. Mm. Tawheed is developed. Tawheed is shown, uh, led by example. Uh, it's never taught. We can never teach people Tawheed mm. because uh, teaching is to, is, is to do with knowing. And Tawheed is not about knowing. Mm. Tawheed is more than knowing. Everyone knows in the fitrah, everyone knows that they have to die. Uh, everyone knows that this life uh, cannot be just for the sake of enjoyment. There is a greater purpose behind it. So knowing doesn't equate to Tawheed. It is um, the development and, and of the soul and the yearning of the soul, the yearning of the heart, the, 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 the devotion of the heart, the, the focus of the mind, the greatness of who you are to relation to the whole creation. Uh, in, in relation to, uh, to the, the first and the greatest being, Allah Jalla wa'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Tawheed can be never be never be taught, never. It can never be taught. Um, otherwise, the, the, the Iblis would have been a mm. would have been a Muslim, and many non non Muslims would have been uh, Muslim. So it can never be taught, but it can be developed. So I always say, develop Tawheed in the house. How do you develop it? You express it. You show it. Uh, you talk about it. Yes, but it's done in your character. It's shown in your character. It's shown in your everyday living that there's Allah Jalla in the picture of A to Z of my matters. That's Tawheed. Mm. So the, the children, they live Tawheed because the parents are living Tawheed of Allah Jalla mm. That is the best Tawheed. That is the greatest Tawheed. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So when you pray, they see the khushu in you. When you make dua, they see the tears flowing down. Mm. When, you, when, you see you, when they see you're going through crisis, they see that you're asking Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala. You make the dua aloud. Yeah. The Salah is to make the dua aloud. And even in sujood, even obligatory salah, Sahaba could hear it. Why? To develop Tawheed within them. Mm. These are adults, not children. Yeah, so it's awla, it's more appropriate for us to say the duas and say our yearnings and our wishes, our fears to Jalla in front of our children so they know. Yeah. So if they wanted the bike or motorcycle, raise your hand and say, well, Allah, give Adam a motorcycle or a bike or, a, or, or this toy or that toy. <laughs> Allah, give me to, to attend that for him. SubhanAllah, mm. develop it like that. So could, could we do the same thing if, uh, if someone's like a river and they've been brought out in a house uh, where there's been no tawheed? Yeah. Uh, how, how can we develop uh, like a grown adult? Would it be the same way, like as you mentioned? Yeah, basically... Uh, 
the teaching in of itself is there for them not to commit kufr and shirk hmm. knowingly or intentionally or unknowingly so that's what the teaching is there so the teaching is more for the boundary that's what Jalla spoke about shirk more because he knows Tawheed is already there in you hmm. you just have to develop it but he spoke about shirk because you may fall into shirk without knowing or with knowing but you're not, you, you don't know this is shirk hmm. so you know you're not sure but then you fall into it but you don't know this is shirk so that's what Jalla made very clear what is shirk especially shirk al-akbar uh, the major shirk so you teach people the general Tawheed and the specific Tawheed but you teach it whilst you're living it or whilst they are mm. living so you don't teach one going one book khalas this is Tawheed <laughs> you teach them for the sake of not committing shirk yeah for that sake you teach a book or you go through a book so they don't commit shirk they don't fall into shirk knowingly or unknowingly um, yeah so, so be it a Muslim child or be it a river you teach them Tawheed in terms mm. of for them not to commit shirk but not that they do not know what Tawheed is mm. um, because everyone knows deep down what Tawheed is it's, it's about developing them and it's about building that relationship with Jalla how to build that relationship practically in a, in a comprehensive deep manner that comes more with relationship with the Wahi with reflection mm. so uh, you will need to live Tawheed at the same time you need to go to a teacher or a sheikh or mashayikhs who go through the Wahi with reflection so they make you bond with Jalla they move your soul they move your heart they move your mind and they move your limbs and character and, and they make they develop within you slowly um, fabric by fabric layer by layer Tawheed of Jalla so it's more than just technical teaching yeah. like fiqh book example I can give you like a fiqh book you can teach someone straight away A to Z a fiqh book if you can take in 25 hours you can teach him 25 hours the fiqh book no problem mm. oh Tawheed no yeah. Is, yeah. You have to develop it. I remember in one of your classes you were talking about uh, achieving Hanif at, at the early stages of life. Yeah. And then you said even if the children go uh, away from Allah yeah. later on in life, they always return yeah. because yeah. of that state yeah. of Hanif that achieved yeah. at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. This is the first stage that we all uh, ought to attain. I always say this statement that if, if someone is committing major sins consistently, yeah, they need to go back to the stage of Hanif. Mm. They really need to go back to the stage of Hanif. If they are committing um, major sins, knowing they've got the knowledge, this is major sin, and they're still in, insisting and they're committing it, they need to go back to Hanif. They need to find the, the Hunafa within them. What's mm. Hunafa? That's the pure Tawheed of Jalla'u'ala. They need to find it. What I mean to find is there, but they need to revive and awaken and enliven in their mm. souls and their hearts, consciously, not subconsciously, mm. consciously. What am I doing? Who I who am I? Do I really want to be this person? Really, they need to search this. Do am I really a, a person of Tawheed? Do I really believe Allah is gonna take me into account if He wants mm. to even now? Do I really believe in that? So He really looks needs to look into the fitrah and find the stage of Hanif. Hanif is basically is the first stage of Tawheed when you do not have any desires and whims of of of, of shahwa mm. so that's the stage where you come to tawhid of jalla wa'ala subhanallah otherwise you don't have all the whims and desires 
and you come to that stage and you accept it with the the, the limited and restricted uh, understanding you have in your fitra and in your aql and the lack of experience you have with all of that restrictions you affirm the tawhid of Allah Jalla wa'ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. that's the most sweetest thing a child can establish when a child establishes that by himself in his salah or in his tilawah mm. he will weep I don't, know, oh. I don't know if you've seen some videos where children they are reciting and yeah. they start weeping that is because they, they feel that, that that sweetness of Hunafa because mm. they're not at that level of understanding of who Allah, the greatness of Allah mm. the, 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 the majesty of Allah they don't have the understanding yet they can't comprehend it mm. right but they have that feeling and they affirm it that Allah is one and he loves me and I love him and he created me and I'm his creation they have those basics and they affirm it as soon as they affirm it they find the sweetness and yeah, tears flow that's what uh, it makes sense now that you mentioned it because I've seen those videos of kids crying yeah. when they're recite, reciting the Quran yeah. and you're thinking this is ajib like how is it that they, they have so much khushu in yeah. what they're reciting yeah. how it's amazing because they, they feel the sweetness Yeah, and I don't know uh, like I don't know if your brothers have met people or if if, if your brothers felt it like that when you were young, like when you're seven, eight years old, and you're, you're, you're going to sujood and you find this overwhelming peace and security and sweetness and you want to go back. Now you're adult and you want to go back to that closeness yeah. you had, the bond you had with Jalla at that innocent age. That's nothing but Hanif. Mm. And that's why Ibrahim Islam was called Imam of Hanafah because all the prophets are Hanif. All the prophets are Hanif. They yeah. attained at the tender age. Of Tawheed. So Ibrahim al Islam was called Imam Hanifa because he attended earlier than anyone else. Mm. That's why he's called Imam Hanifa. Yeah, at- attained yeah. Hanif at a very early age. Mm. Very early age. Yeah. Subhanallah. So if if the children witness Tawheed in the house, they'll attain it mm. very early on. Very early on. Do you think then uh, people who uh, find it difficult to turn back to Allah, do you think it's like uh, the desires and the sins and stuff that they're committing which is stopping them from achieving Hanif? Because some people, they uh, really truly believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they've had that connection with Allah and they want to turn back to Him, yeah. but there's something always pulling them back. Yeah, if, uh, if they had Hanif, then there's glad tiding, alhamdulillah, mm. I mean, because that will pull them back. That sweetness will be such, it's a, such a pull. Mm. It's such a pull that nothing can stop it. Mm. And the best example we can give is the example of Salman, Salman al Farisi. Mm. You know, he was upon the Hunafa, and it doesn't matter how old he was, it doesn't matter what he was going through in terms of his, his struggles to find Prophet. He took it. He took all the risks, all the struggles he went through. He even became a slave. Mm. Yeah, he even became a slave. Literally. To find the, the completion of Hanafa. Why? Because he had Hanif inside him. Mm. He attained the level of Hanif inside him and he was searching for the completion of it and the perfection of it. Al-Yawma Akmantilakum Deenakum you already had it today. I perfected it. If you didn't have, if, if there was nothing there, there's nothing to perfect. Mm, <laughs> yeah. In terms of uh, like uh, shahwa and hawa and desires, how does that affect uh, a person's uh, fitra? Uh, the the yeah, firstly it affects the children from the parents. Mm. 
and the uncles and the aunties and people who are close to them, the neighbors. Um, this is the this is the first thing that impacts the child's fitra. Salasa made a very clear fabawahu, you have idani, avinasirani, avinasirani. So some made very clear that it's the parents. A parent doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the actual parent, but actual parent, it could be what it means is anyone who's taking care of the child at that age and that stage, anyone who has that influence. So they will have the greatest influence. It could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a neighbor, it could be an uncle, it could be an auntie, it could be a foster parent, it could be anyone. As long as in that stage the, the, the child is with them, then they will have the most influence. If the more time they spend, the more care and love they they give the more influence they would have so if they are people of desires and whims then they will be the first people to crop the fitrah mm. first and foremost yeah then comes your friends and your colleagues and people like that when the more you grow but in the beginning will be them so that's why um we have this mindset in our in our i don't know about your community but we have this mindset in our Bangladeshi community we are bad parents, no problem. We'll give them to good teachers. <laughs> They'll make them good children. Uh. <laughs> we have this mentality, right? <laughs> There's the same in our culture yeah, as well. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Mm. It doesn't work. Like, I, I wish it worked, you know, but <laughs> 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 the Sunnah of Allah doesn't work like that. Yeah. Because it's your responsibility to make your children the best of human beings and then the best of Muslims. It's your responsibility. So if you give that responsibility to someone else, they will not be able to fulfill it because it's not their responsibility in the first place. Mm. So they don't have that mindset there in the first place. So once, if they don't have that conscious mindset, they'll never do it. They may do it when they see someone is receiving that. At the sake of Allah, they may then give extra attention, extra development they may do for the sake of Allah. Mm. But that's not the prime responsibility. And then... So then people tend to blame the teachers, then tend to blame institutions, then yeah. tend to blame society at large. <laughs> My son is fine, you know, the society destroyed him. <laughs> the yeah. typical statement, you know. Or my daughter was fine, but the society completely ruined her, you know. Or her friends ruined her, stuff like that. So it's the parents. Yeah. And now I know that the age of TV is over, but I still call the TV the biggest devil uh, in the house, literally. It is the biggest mm -hmm. devil in the house. And today... Okay, we've got some sort of control on computers and laptops and iPads and so forth. But uh, we Muslims are far behind on the issue of having having ethical, moral media entertainment, uh, social media entertainment. We are far behind. And, mm. and I advocate this constantly, consistently, that we need an alternative. Uh, I would never go down an alternative because in, in Islam, entertainment is halal. Mm. But we need um, a, a ethical, moral, um, uh, social leisures and entertainment. We need that. And it, it has now become more of a must than ever before. Mm. And our entrepreneurs and people who are uh, technolog technologically they advanced, that they have their skills, it's up to them to come together with the relevant uh, mashaikh who can direct them and guide them and advise them and develop these apps and these uh, these platforms mm. um, for our children and for our parents and for our youth and for for the ummah at large yeah yeah unless we tackle that the issue of uh, social media influence negative influence mm. on our children will not go away sadly yeah yeah what about um Ortugal? 
<laughs> watching uh, a lot of people watching that uh, nowadays uh, would you say uh, that's sort of in the right direction of more uh, ethical and beneficial sort of programs there's history there's uh, islam uh, they're uh, proud of the islam and the tv show generally yes it's, yeah. it's going down the right direction it's not perfect it's not it's not from one angle it's not the best mm. like there's romance in there a lot of romance and it's unrealistic romance by mm. the way it's not realistic it's not real it's fairy tale these are not real stuff and people a lot of women fall into these fairy tale notions a lot of men also mm. gullible men they fall in fall into these notions of of, of fairy tale and it's not real and and then they get deceived by yeah. by women or they get deceived by men you know so i think because of the the, the romance is, is is unrealistic and also the um the fighting is unrealistic obviously <laughs> <laughs> i watched the episodes it's unrealistic five people taking take you know taking uh, you know it can happen here and then one one ambush or yeah. one battle but it's not going to happen constantly <laughs> consistently every single ambush and every single battle the five yeah, guys cool. defeat hundreds and hundreds <laughs> that's unrealistic yeah. so one is to be careful um on, on, on that uh, when they watch that, that this is entertainment that this is not real um and so forth and so on uh, but it's yes it's, it's going to the, towards the right direction but it's not yet perfect mm. it's not yet perfect so we need to perfect it inshallah ta'ala. inshallah yeah would you recommend like uh, videos of like uh, the Sahaba and uh, stuff like that, or then portraying the Sahaba in videos? I would say we've got vast history of Islamic history, uh, Muslim history, hmm. vast, Dhul uh, Qarnayn and uh, vast, Subhanallah, uh, and even uh, for, if you forget Dhul Qarnayn, whether he was Prophet or not, Islam and so forth. Even if if you take from this uh, after Sahaba the Tabi'in, we've got vast history. Mm. Um, you can take each of these history as episodes and uh, make them different different series. Like for example, India in itself mm. is a vast history. You know, I don't know if I if I should put this idea out, <laughs> but uh, if I'm here, let me put it out. Like yeah. uh, I had this idea and I said to a few people, I said, why don't you know, you watch David Attenborough programs. Right? Yeah. I, I love wildlife. I watch it. I watch all of his all of his uh, programs. David Attenborough's um, uh, wildlife programs. So what they did, they did five years uh, documentaries, like uh, filming of wild animals, and then they show it after five years or ten years. Mm. There's Blue Planet and different different ones. And what I wanted to do is, if those brothers who have the finance, maybe they can take the idea. And I don't worry, I'm not a copywriter <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> a pattern or something. You can take the idea. Why don't you travel like 15 of you or 20 of you, like experts? You take experts um, amongst yourselves with cameras and stuff like that. You travel the whole Muslim countries, country after country, and you just talk to the politicians, the ex politicians. Uh, the 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 people who established the nation, the people who are part of the nation, the people who are part of the history, the freedom fighters, uh, and so forth, the the great schools uh, of the past and the present, and you just interview the whole country, and it could be ten episodes of a country, where mm. you summarize the whole country, its history and its present mm. and its future, That's and right. it might take ten years or yeah. fifteen years. But imagine that vast wealth 
of documentaries eventually when it comes out yeah. how much the whole ummah will be united and understand the whole ummah mm. in those if they watched if they watched to watch Facebook there was 200 of these episodes of 50 countries of 50 or 60 countries just by watching them you'd have a vast amount of knowledge of the whole mm. Muslim ummah that's true subhanallah. it was done in a nice very dramatic way like his take go to a museum mm. you, you know take footage of it and interview a historian interview a politician interview a boxer mm. or this year or a jiu-jitsu guy and, and take it from this it's it'll cost money mm. you'll need a lot of funding but it can be done and if it's done instead of yes we the entertainment route is is there for us to take but we're far away but this one we can do immediately just this bit mm. of money, bit of expertise, and then travel land after land, land after land, and record. Mm. I'm not sure if uh, anybody would watch it if there's no romance, Sheikh. <laughs> people love a bit of romance nowadays. Uh, uh, well, people <laughs> people can talk about the personal life in those yeah. videos. The ex-politician or ex-imam or ex-alim of a position, great, mm. pro- great position who achieves so much. He can talk about his family. It's true, yeah. How he married and stuff like that. I'm mm. sure there's some romance in there. <laughs> <laughs> well. Speaking of romance, uh, it, within the marriage, like people say there's like the honeymoon period and that goes after a year or two years. But do you think that can uh, remain for, for much longer? Yeah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. There's this issue of soulmate and compatible mate. Um, I speak about that, uh, you know, I used to say to sisters, there's no such thing as soulmate. You know, there's such, there's everything as compatible mate. I used to always say that. Let's take a soul heart, you know, let's take a heartbroken, I don't have a soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> but then I said, okay, you've got a soulmate, but it's compatible mate, mm. you know. Um, yes, um, I know, subhanAllah, there's a couple. There's a couple. When I was in back home, there's a couple. They had all together, I think, 10 children. Seven boys and three daughters, and Subhanallah. Even in the old age, they were like sixties, seventies. Even in the old age, you can see the twinkle in the eyes when they used to speak to one another. You see that romance in them, and the way he used to make fun of him, and the way he used to make fun of her. It was amazing. I used to come back from Madrasa. I used to watch them. The way they used to cuss one another. The way they used to laugh with one another. The way they used to joke with one another. And it was amazing. And I think that was. That was, I witnessed more couples like that with so much romance, so much love and care for one another. But their one peaked, their mm. one peaked. Because there was so much laughter and banter, so much banter with, with, with one another. And uh, it was amazing, it was amazing. And uh, uh, subhanAllah, yes, romance can last, mm. it can last for years and years, especially if you find your compatible mate. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you go through misery and agony and pain and stress and crisis. Um, I know a couple that they go th- they going through severe sihr, severe sihr. They have not been intimate for I think for a year. Mm. And there's a couple who comes they come to me for up here. But subhanallah, even though they have not been intimate for a year, when they talk to one another, there's so much respect, there's so much mm. love, there's so much care, there's so much happiness and joy amongst them. Yeah. I remember in one of the talks you you spoke about um, 
how Allah has placed mawadda and rahma. Yeah. And he said the mawadda is at the beginning, but then the rahma remains. Yeah. yeah. Rahma's love is more. It's mm. ajeeb because rahma is care and ihsan. You can't survive marriage. Marriage, in the beginning, you may marry because you're attracted and you, you love the person. And, or you, you marry and then you fall in love with that person very deeply. So in the beginning, the marriage, yes, it's not based on rahma. It's not based on ihsan. It's based on mawadda. It's based on love and affection or fondness. Mm. But eventually, it lives and survives based on rahma. Mm. Because you have to say sorry first. Or someone has to say sorry first. <laughs> even if even you know you, you did not make the mistake, you are not on the wrong. Someone has to give in and give up the arrogance and the ego and the pride. Mm. Someone has to, you know, just be humble. Someone has to appreciate. Do you see? Mm. So Rahma comes in. And Rahma's love is great. Because the other person eventually when you show so much Rahma, as long as the other person doesn't take advantage, obviously eventually appreciates that rahma so much that um like again i know a, i know a couple subhanallah the man is disabled mm. and alhamdulillah he's got children uh, and and then she has cancer but mm. even though she has cancer she's still looking after the husband that that shows that there's, there's so much deep care was the husband even though he's disabled um, so th- th- these are amazing examples mm. of, of how uh, Rahma can can um, can uh, keep uh, family intact even if they go through very severe crisis I know another couple who didn't have children for 10 years and she did so much against him against his brother she mm. did so much against him and obviously in my years of counseling I never said to anyone to divorce but I was so close to say to him to divorce his wife so oh. close I was so close I was like he was driving me back from back from a place it was a long drive and his his wife left him went back to her, her father's house and she was staying there stubbornly for for weeks and weeks and I was so close to saying no I divorce her and I know mm-hmm. if I said it he'd obey yeah, Alhamdulillah he's got that Samayana and that obedience and respect but I didn't mm. I didn't I said you know what let, let us give her one more chance she came back and she, now they have two twin boys MashaAllah yeah. why? because he has that care not love mm. he's got this deep care for her because he knows if I divorce I'll destroy her life she's, she's now in her 40s mm. I'll destroy her life so what took over wasn't love what took over was the care and I knew he mm. had the care that's why I didn't also give the divorce so care I always say be f- try to find things that you'll you'll be fond of, of one another that's first and foremost and then try to work on your care mm. and then try to work on your son maybe I can ask questions I can talk about one other thing I want to talk about but you can ask questions and I'll talk about it yeah sure uh, one other thing I, I would have asked is uh, in terms of Ghira in the marriage uh, I think it's usually quite high at the beginning of the marriage then it starts to like fade away later mm. on mm. Um, what would be your advice uh, for newly newlyweds especially like the brothers what's the uh, right level of ghira to have it obviously <laughs> depends from person to person yeah. um, um, it really depends from person to person um, I think it, more than ghira it boils down to trust mm. 
It's not about how much ghira you have or how less ghira you have. It's about trust. Mm. Um, your wife or your husband, the other around, your husband could be speaking to a woman. Um, and he could be smiling and he could be moving his hands and he could be doing all of this. But you know, my husband has nothing towards her. And he's doing this because it's his job or because he has to or because he had to. Mm. Yeah. And you feel nothing against him. And when he comes to you, you know, he is the most loving husband to you. And the other way around. You see, it could be a sister just talking, laughing in front of uh, another man. He, she could be just showing him this clothes or that clothes or this thing or that thing or this food and that food. And just out of courtesy, out of being sociable, she's doing it. There's no soft speech. There's no mm. uh, attraction she's trying to attract. You know. So, alhamdulillah. So, it boils down to trust. Mm. Um, I can give many examples where brothers and sisters, they've got this such a trust, the husband and wife, they've got such a trust that, alhamdulillah, and, and we know from our parents as well. You see, our parents, mm. like, the, the, in some um, incidents, in, in some cases, they are free mixing. Mm. But they have this close trust that my wife is not doing anything or my husband is not yeah. doing anything. They have this trust. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a bit too far in some cases. But the point is, because of that trust, it's there, they're, they're, they're fine with it. So, what I would say is not work on your rira. What I would say is work on your trust. trust. Mm. Build your trust. Work on your trust. That's like the foundation. Yeah, that's the foundation. Mm. Building your trust. If she wants to open your mobile, there you go. Check mm. my mobile. Don't put passwords in. I, yeah. never, had, I never have passwords in my, on my phone. <laughs> You know, my wife, it's funny, you know, I never had passwords on my phone, never. So my wife in the beginning, she had passwords on her phone. <laughs> After a couple of months of marriage, I think eight, nine months, she took away the, the password. Mm. She didn't have a password. So, yeah. So it's not, obviously the man, the man, the man has to lead the way, mm. and show the way. Um, sometimes the woman has to do the way because the man isn't, you know, is not is not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it boils down to trust. So oh. for me, it's not about how less gira you have or how much gira you have. If someone deceives you, you'll be hurt, irrespective mm. of how much gira or how less gira you have. If your spouse deceives no. you, you'll be hurt. Yeah. So it's not about how less or how much. It's about trust. Build that trust. Don't put barriers against the trust. Uh, open the barriers for the trust, mm. and the more you open it, the more transparent you be, the more you build, the, the more the more you'll build the trust. And eventually, when you build your trust, then you will not worry about anything. To be honest, mm. because you know she loves you, you know she's your com soulmate, a compatible mate, and your she knows you're her compatible mate. And then alhamdulillah, there's nothing. So, Sheikh, uh, since um, Ramadan is coming up, uh, what advice do you give us in terms of preparation and? Uh, what should be our focus this month, inshallah? A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiya al-musaleen Nabiyina wa imamina Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'du Irrespective of where we are in terms of our bonding with Allah Jalla wa Ta'ala, 
um, how, whether how close we are or how far we are or how great we are um, we are all sinners uh, we are all sinners um, knowingly or unknowingly and in any khair deeds that, that you really want to excel therein or you want to achieve the utmost great fruit therein um, it's, it's always best to start with humility and humbleness mm. and um, the greatest humbleness and humility towards Allah Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala is for you to acknowledge your shortcomings and seek forgiveness from him Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala a lot of times we have this mindset that I'm going to seek forgiveness in Ramadan mm. but hardly any of us have the mindset I'm going to attain forgiveness before Ramadan and in Ramadan I'm going to become Abd of Allah Jalla mm, sure. So, because we have the other mindset, I'm going to seek forgiveness of, of, from Jalla in Ramadan. What happens on the Qadr night or close to Qadr night or during those odd nights, we are begging his forgiveness and then we feel sinless and then we want to worship Allah and Ramadan ends. Mm. So, us being Abd, we only had like a few days or a few nights left. And then, then eventually, when Ramadan finishes, we deep down again <laughs> so my advice is always always I give the advice that uh, seek Tawbah and repentance before Ramadan cleanse yourself completely before Ramadan if you do that you're most likely to be to attain the actual eternal forgiveness uh, from uh, within Ramadan and because there's three types of forgiveness and let me just give this because uh, not many people speak about this there is a forgiveness of all Muslims um, so anyone who is a true Muslim Jalla forgives them uh, what does that mean? they do not enter into Jahannam for eternity mm-hmm. that's one forgiveness there's another forgiveness which is you commit a sin and then you ask forgiveness from that particular sin so Allah forgives that sin meaning he does not punish you for that particular sin that's a second type of forgiveness and there's a third type of forgiveness which the Sahaba attained which is the eternal forgiveness what does that mean is you don't go through Jahannam at all you go straight to Jannah mm-hmm. that's the forgiveness that can be attained in Ramadan now you don't want to attain the first forgiveness you don't want to attain the second forgiveness you want to attain the third forgiveness and to attain your third forgiveness it's better that you start seeking forgiveness from the first one and the second one and start attaining the third one before Ramadan and thereby in Ramadan you most likely attain the, the third forgiveness <clears throat> so that's the first advice the second advice is the purpose is bonding with Allah that's the ultimate purpose the purpose isn't being hungry and thirsty or staying away from food and water and relations or standing during the night whether it's in the, in the masjid or in the house or during the khatam of the Quran these are not the purpose the ultimate purpose is bonding with Allah Jalla wa'ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala and that purpose revolves around 
Yoha and it's not only intentions but it's ultimate concept of who Jalla is, what he does, why he does and how he does it. The more you grow the concepts of who is Allah or in other words personalize it by saying who is the Allah that I believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does Allah do the one who I believe in? Why does he do what he does the Allah I believe in? How does he does how does he do what he does that Allah I believe in? So when as soon as you start doing that, you begin you begin to take your iman from subconscious level to a conscious level because now it's about you, because you're saying I, hmm. my Allah, and it's about Allah that you believed in. So it's not their Allah and I'm just following them. Hmm. It's not his Allah that I'm just following him. It's not the Imam's Allah or the Sheikh's Allah or the book's Allah or the Quran's Allah. No, it's my Allah. Mm-hmm. So once you start consciously asking those questions and you start burning, okay, who is this Allah? Who is this being? Right? How did he create me? And how is he taking care of me? It's not like, oh, he created the whole creation. Yeah, he's also created me. Okay, how did he create me? He's taking care of the creation. Okay, but he's taking care of me also. Do you see? So the more you personalize that question, those questions, conceptualize it, Allah in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, with the intentions, with the purposes, and then eventually what do you want from Him? What what do you want to do for Him in this dunya life, for for yourself, for your family, for the society at large, and for the humanity? Then it becomes more easier for you to then focus your bonding it becomes more real it becomes more tangible and i think many of us worship allah it's sad to say subconsciously and emotionally and we follow the crowd in worship where we should not follow the cloud crowd where we shouldn't follow our emotions when it comes to worship we shouldn't bond with Allah because someone else is bonding this way or that way like it should mm-hmm. be a personal bonding so when you focus on the personal bonding in a comprehensive manner while you ask those questions from your heart from your mind everything that's bothering you everything that you want answers to or for you're asking Jalla then it's for you it's about where do I find the sweetness today do I find it in Salah if it's Salah Salah do I find the recitation if it's recitation recitation mm-hmm. do I find it in memorization then memorize do I find in going out and visiting my relatives? Then visit my relatives. Do I find in inviting others to the iftar with me? Alhamdulillah. Do I find in me donating? Then donate. So then it doesn't become okay, a rigid routine that I'm going to follow. It becomes okay, I have an overall routine, but then I'll look for where do I find bonding the most. So for example, you recite the Quran for five hours. You just That's your routine. On the fifth day, you're not finding that bonding. Leave that recitation and then stand and start praying salah. Who said you can't mm-hmm. pray salah during the day? Voluntary salah. Mm-hmm. Who said you have to pray during the night? Like the stand. duha salah. Yeah, duha. Yeah. Why not voluntary salah? You can mm-hmm. pray after duhar, after, uh, after the, before duhar, you can pray. No problem. Mm-hmm. So focus on the bonding. And that is the crunch of ibadah, is the bonding in yourself. 
لذكري ولا ذكر الله أكبر ذكر is nothing but burning with Allah Taala سبحانه وتعالى so that's my second advice I always say don't ask don't ask the question what shall I do the most should I prioritize memorizing the Quran or reciting the Quran لا what I say is prioritize bonding wherever you find bonding adhere to it if you find if you don't find the sweetness doing then move on to another ibadah there's so many ibadat you can perform from memorizing to tilawah to dhikr adhkar to visiting relatives to inviting to sadaqat there's so many ibadat you can perform perform any one of them or any of them and where you find bonding adhere with it until you know you need to move to another ibadah then move to another ibadah and find bonding therein mm-hmm. focus on the bonding the third advice I give is converse with Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala okay if I ask the question how many of you converse with Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala consciously and how many times mm, not often subhanahu yeah let me ask another question how many times have you said to Allah, I love you, Allah. Mm. How many times? Yeah. You may feel it, but you don't say it. When it comes to Jalla subhanahu wa what is he doing with us more than anything? He's doing his actions. Yeah. He's manifesting his attributes, which is his actions upon us, right? But when it comes to the actual tangible reality, it is his conversation that's doing he is doing with us the most. Be it Quran or be it the Sunnah, it's his conversation with us. And then, whenever we do ibadah, he is conversing with us. We can't hear it, but he is conversing. He's mm. talking. He's talking to the angels about us. Mm. So and so is asking for this. Go and give it. So and so is doing this. Write this down. So there is a conversation going on between you and Jalla without even knowing. On the Qiyamah day, when we will meet Jalla Subhanahu Wa Taala, he will converse before you even see him. That conversation can happen with any any language. In any way, you don't have to start like this and like that. Because he's your Rabb, he knows what you're feeling in your heart. And because we do not converse with Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are unable to bond in a very personal, intimate level. You look at all the prophets, all the prophets. In the dua wasn't dua in of itself. In the dua was the envelope of conversation. Take any dua of any prophet, you'll find there's a conversation going on. Mm. between him and Jalla you take any of the incidents that took place of dua in the Quran you see that there's a conversation between going on and the dua is in, in between I'll give you an example Adam he says Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunana min khasirin he said oh Allah oh Rabb both of us Individually and collectively, they were making dua to Jalla Fusana. They could have said, Oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves, forgive us. Yeah? Mm-hmm. They didn't say that. They could have said, Oh Allah, forgive us. They, 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 they did not have to say, Oh Allah, we have oppressed, because Allah knows they have oppressed themselves. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't say that. 
they went further. They said, Rabbana Zalamna Anfusana. Oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves. If you don't forgive us, what's that? Mm-hmm. What is that? Conversation. That's conversation. <coughs> That's not dua. That's not dua. That's conversation. Mm, There's a talk on a YouTube a conversation with Allah by myself. Mm. Try to watch it. That's very summarized. I've summarized it in that talk. But still, it gives you a glimmer on how all the prophets, when they spoke with Allah, they actually spoke with Him. Mm. They conversed with Him. Famous Ibrahim, uh, Musa Islam is called Kalimullah. Why? He spoke with Allah. He spoke with Allah. Does it mean that all the other prophets didn't speak with Allah? No. Then why was he called Kalimullah? He had a different, uh, um, different connection, a uh, different uh, method, right? He was more intimate. Hmm. Yeah. He was more intimate. He was where the fire came, and this fire was from Jalal and Allah spoke to him. Mm. Yeah, well, so the speech was very intimate. It was more very physical, very intimate, very physical speech, and it was direct, meaning there was no angels in the earth. Mm. Jalal speaking, there was no angels. Was Allah Jalla speaking to Musa. That's why. That's why it's called Kalimullah. But that doesn't negate all that the prophets. Speaking to Jalla mm. and in that, what does Jalla say? He says to Musa, Innani, that's how he starts. He says, عليك, Innani he says to Musa, عليك, in, Take your shoes off. You are in a very in, in a sanctified valley. Yeah, and this is I am Allah. That means Musa already knows who he is, mm. and he has been conversing. Allah eventually, after the conversation, he says, "Throw this staff." Yeah. He throws the staff. He becomes a snake. What happens to Musa? He runs and flees. He leaves his shoes behind. He's falling all over the place. He is mm. tumbling down the mountain. He's so scared of the snake. Musa was more scared. Listen to this part. Musa was more scared of the staff which he was with him for more than 10 years. He was more scared of the staff becoming a snake than a fire speaking to him. And that was Allah Subhanahu mm. wa ta'ala. Why? Because he knew Allah. Because he was speaking with Allah from day one. Mm. That's why he was not scared. He recognized who, who, who he was speaking to. That's why when he said, Inna ni Allah, he recognized straight away. With all the same Zakariyah. It's not just Salah and Dua. He was Qa'im, he was continuously standing, prostrating. He was conversing with Jalla Subhanahu The best example, I'll finish with this, is Mother of Maryam. Mother of Maryam, she made Dua to Jalla But in that Dua, what does she, does, does she say? Like, protect my offspring from Iblis, Shaitan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one asked that no one asked that dua before her ever. She's not even a prophet. Firstly, for her for her to ask that dua shows that she was what? Conversing with Jalla subhanahu and Allah Jalla was answering her constantly. Mm-hmm. So she had so much confidence to say, Oh Allah, give me a child that will 
be protected and his or her offspring will be protected from shaitan. answered her accepted her answered specified her to be um, him to be her specifically as if Jalla is not rub over anyone else why because she was conversing with Allah Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala Conversation is, is the essence of dhikr. Essence of dhikr. Dhikr isn't the tongue moving. Dhikr isn't the heart just remembering. Dhikr is conversing with Allah subhanahu wa talking to him, talking to him. Lastly, I'll, sorry, I'll end with this because this is so important. I have to say it. <laughs> the famous incident of the cave issue. You know, when the three Bani Israel, they got in the storm, they got stuck and they, they were here hid in the cave. They could have raised their hands and said, Oh Allah, we did this, remove the remove the uh, the blockage from the rock, the rock. from, from yeah. the cave. Raise the hands. Well, if you look at the long hadith, what were they doing? They were conversing with Allah. Mm. Wallah, you knew I did this, I went this, I went here, I went there, I came, I stood. All of this was what? Conversation with Allah. They were speaking. Now, what, is this the first time they were speaking like that? No. Of course not. Mm-hmm. They were used to it. It was normal to them. And thereby, they were speaking to Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. So, in summary, in Ramadan, firstly, repent to attain eternal forgiveness. Second, bond, have the ultimate bonding with Jalla subhanahu wa ta'ala. Have that as your ultimate goal. And maybe I'll just put one thing in there. Don't have your ultimate, even subconsciously, your ultimate happiness left on any creation. Your ultimate peace, and your ultimate security, your ultimate fear. Don't have it left in any of the creation. It could be subconsciously towards your wife or towards your husband or towards your parents or towards a state. Or it could be subconsciously there. Make sure even at the subconscious level, your ultimate devotion, love, companionship, um, ultimate fear, ultimate security, ultimate safety ultimate prosperity, ultimate contentment, ultimate peace, ultimate serenity, ultimate satisfaction and rida, pleasure and delights is left with Jalla wa'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala consciously. Then you can free yourself from the shackles and enslavement of your whims and desires and even your nafs. Mm. And when you do that, you'll feel free. In- internally, you'll, be feel, you'll feel free. And then, when you then go and say Allahu Akbar or say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la you will feel the presence of Jalla wa'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala within, your, uh, within yourself as, as an abd, as a, as a mu'min. And lastly, converse with him. Converse with him. Converse with him. If you committed a sin, converse with him as a friend. Yeah. If, if you are devoted to him, converse with him as, as, as Ghaniul Hamid. He's not in need of your, your worship. Mm-hmm. You know? um, if you are in need of something, desperately in need, converse with him as... He's, 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 he's always the giver you know, he, he always gives and he gives and he continues to give until you say enough, enough, Allah give us enough <laughs> he's the giver um, if you're in need of help and support and aid and, and, and it's, he, he's there if you need of shifa, he's a shafi so converse converse with him, laugh with him, joke with him you can joke with Jalla Wa'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala Jalla laughs mm. 
and he will joke back with you. One day you'll hear it on camera day. Inshallah. Yeah. Uh, you know the famous hadith when you know everything's lost if the person is in the desert and then he says he says to Allah, I am your Rabb and you are my slave. Mm. Allah laughs. Mm. Allah laughs. Yeah. And same on the uh, the last person to enter the Jannah. When Allah gives him and gives him because I'll give you ten times more. He's the person says, Are you joking with me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, no, I'm not joking, I'm serious. I will give this to you. <laughs> yeah. So Jallawala jokes. But you have to joke with Jallawala also for him to for him to smile, for mm. him to laugh and for you to laugh. It's amazing when you do that. And then you'll bond with him. You'll mm. bond with him in a very profound manner which will give you Izzah internally, which will give you strength internally. And this strength is beyond the physical realm. It's the strength of Tawheed, it's the strength of Ibadah, it's the strength of Allah Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum. One of the things that you mentioned about uh, the the prophets knowing Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala reminds me of the story of Ayub Alayhi Salaam that he, uh, when his wife asked him to make dua to Allah and he, he said, uh, Allah has blessed me for so many years, I feel shy to ask him. As it's as if you knew already that if I did ask Allah, He would give it to me, but that's I'm not asking because I yeah. feel shy. Yeah. Because He knew Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Subhanallah. So, yeah, convert. I think the biggest ingredient that's missing is conscious tawhid of Allah. You consciously affirm His tawhid and what He's doing for for you, and you personalize it. You consciously do, and you personalize it. So you think the whole creation with you and with Allah and nobody else is there mm. yeah so it's you and Allah and the whole creation and you sink it because Allah is the creator and I am his creation and you personalize that and then you con- conversing mm. conversing and because those those two are missing um, a lot of Muslims don't find the sweetness of of rationalizing Tawheed um, or intellectualizing tawheed, they can't. They don't. They don't find the sweetness therein. Mm. But when you make it conscious and you personalize Jalla with yourself, and you uh, you converse with him Jalla Subhanahu Wa Taala, then you your intellect and and the answers you give with your intellect and with your conscious mind, is so sweet, because you see the majesty of how Jalla does things for you and how he protects you how he elevates you how he gives it to you and he has only brought you into existence to give you and to give you in an unimaginable way of delights and pleasures and joys and happiness and only Allah can do that Jazakallah khairan Shaykh it's been an honor to have you here I'm sure it's been a pleasure and delight to Alhamdulillah we're going to have you on many more episodes Inshallah ta'ala may Allah bless you and bless your efforts and bless the brothers around you and bless Amen. the people who uh, will be listening and are listening to this podcast. May Jalla um, accept uh, everyone's efforts and um, make us amongst the best of the people and the best of the Ummah. To all the listeners, inshallah, uh, make sure you go on uh, the Darul Arqam uh, YouTube page and the website, inshallah, and listen to the Sheikh's uh, classes. They're very, very beneficial. Uh, I personally benefited a lot, alhamdulillah. So inshallah you guys will as well. Uh, we'll be back for more episodes soon inshallah. Barakallahu feekum wa assalamu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa